Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Gym Class All-Stars. I'm not even going to continue with this. I'm going to laugh in the face of the man who is behind this screen today, Mr. Robbie Rosenfeld, who we've we've been off a little bit. Lots happened. And Mr. Bobbert over here was oh. so excited for this offseason because Mr. Damian Lillard wanted out of Portland. And not only did he not go to the Heat, which seems to have been a focal point for the last multiple off-seasons, as every superstar and their mother has been linked to Miami, Florida, going there for a second-round pick and $30 in cash and maybe a half-eaten sandwich. But here we are. Yet another superstar has escaped Pat Riley's clutches. And not only did they not go to the Heat, but Mr. Damian Lillard... Went to Robbie's blood boiling, just pain inducing rival, the Milwaukee Bucks. Damon Lillard is teaming with Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, not Drew Holiday anymore because he's gone. But oh. <laughs> it is. I, I saw that and I think just the text I say it was <laughs> like no, no caption, no like link. Just ha ha ha, and you just didn't respond. I I don't blame you. I respect it. Oh, I I, I, I didn't respond to a darn person that day, and I, and I think everybody knows why. Yeah. Um, Walk man. us through it. Talk talk to me. Let's well, let's do some well, group let, therapy here. Let me start out by saying this: it could have been worse. It could have been Boston. It could have been, been Boston. So let's let's all put that into perspective as as fans of the sport. I, I there's a lot here. A lot of emotion for me as a lot of you know Damian Lillard is my favorite player in the NBA right now, so the prospect of him coming to my favorite team was enticing, to say the least. So, yes, I'm very upset. And and right immediately after was very aggressively upset that the Heat were not the team to land him, and that, of course, a, a, a team like Milwaukee was the team that got him, a team that I obviously do not respect very highly. <laughs> um, but, no, it's been a few days, a few weeks now since the trade, so I have had a little more time to process it. A little more time to accept what is and now what is going to be. However, I'm still looking at this trade with a lot of question marks. I think for what the Bucks gave away, they they did pretty well. Don't get me wrong. Damian Lillard is an excellent player to pair with Giannis Antetokounmpo. We're going to have lots of highlights of them on ESPN this year. It's going to be fantastic. And And offensively, it fixed a lot of their problems because how often – did we see a situation where Giannis got shut down? He wasn't skilled enough to just take over a game and they, they, they didn't have anything else. You know, Middleton just kind of dribble, dribble, shoot, nothing much. Dane changes that obviously. But what you lose with something they gave away in Drew Holiday is the defensive side. Dane has never, ever been a, a, a top tier defensive player. He's never even really been an average defensive player. Drew Holiday is one of the best. Now, Mind you, guarding someone like Jimmy Butler isn't really something he's supposed to be doing. But Holiday will lock up most guards in the NBA. Dame is a is not only not going to be able to give you that attribute, he actually is almost a liability at times, especially on the star guards. You're now pairing him with Malik Beasley at shooting guard. You and I could run through that defensively. And that's my only real issue with the Bucks, outside of the fact that Again, you and I are going to be the the best bench options they can afford based off of how much money. 
30 million to Middleton, 40 million out of the Kubo, and 52 million to Damian Lillard. That's a lot of money right there. The, the Heat were able to make it work before in the big three area. I'm not saying it's impossible. Um, campaign was an okay signing. But that's about the nicest thing I could possibly say about this trade. I, I hope you can tell how 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 hard I'm trying to talk nicely about this trade right now. I bet. Yeah, it seemed like the Heat's packages, as we all knew for the entire time, was centered around Tyler Hero being the big asset going to some team, probably not the Trailblazers in the end. But is Pat Riley washed? You want to hear something better? Did Pat Riley ever really have it? Did Pat Riley bring LeBron James to Miami, or did Chris Bosh come to Miami, and then all of a sudden LeBron said, oh, well, this is easy. Uh, he, brought, he, he, he he The Jimmy Butler trade, an excellent trade, but we talk so often about, oh, my God, Pat Riley's going to bring in this superstar, like you said. And how many has he actually brought in? He's, zero. Since Jimmy Butler, zero. The Jimmy Butler trade was the last great thing he did. And the most horrific thing he did recently was the Kyle Lowry trade. That was horrible. You refer to the Jimmy Butler trade as, like, a trade when it was just a glorified, like, signing. And the Sixers got some assets back. Yeah, like, yeah you're right. You have it, been referring to it as a trade for, like, three years. I just – I need you to stop. It was like that – I need you to stop. Trade we just saw in, in football. Like, he was going to be released. It was a pity, like, okay, you're giving – we're getting something in return. That's exactly what happened with Miami and, and that. Yes, we had to give up Josh Richardson, who, you know, had a good year for us, but – Josh Richardson's now our backup shooting guard <laughs> a few years later. <laughs> and yeah. we still have Jimmy Butler. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. But uh, that's what I'm saying. Pat Riley hasn't been able to bring us much since those two individual moments. And maybe you can throw Ray Allen in there if you want. And bringing back Dwayne Wade. But bringing back Dwayne Wade should never have been a thing. He should have never had to leave. Yeah. I think Pat Riley's never had it. That being said... I don't think anybody should count the heat out yet just because they didn't get anything. But here's what I do want to say. I could say a lot about how immaturely this trade situation was handled on Damian Lillard's end, on Joe Cronin's end, on, even on the Miami Heat's end. But I, I think there was one final point that probably broke it entirely for Miami. There was a there was a strong point where there was maybe some traction for Miami. They had a couple picks, a swap in place, Hero. I think Robinson might have been in the deal. They had always been firm on no Caleb Martin, but Nikola Jovic was basically going to be that extra first-round pick if the Blazers would buy into that, because he was a first-round pick. I think he took him at 16 last year, or 18, something like that. And then something happened that we talked about on this podcast, the FIBA Basketball Championship. And Nikola Jovic played excellent basketball for Serbia. Uh, 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 extraordinary basketball, really. And I bet the Heat took him off the table. I bet the Heat said, nope, never mind. We're not giving you him. And that was it. They had nothing left to offer. There was literally nothing else enticing on the Heat's roster because they were never going to move Bam or Jimmy. I don't blame the Blazers for not taking this trade. I blame the Blazers for not taking this trade. <laughs> uh, yeah, I also think, too, we, there's been a lot of discourses offseason about, okay, you have – Dame really wants to go to Miami. And at the start, it was like, Miami, you're bust. Okay. You have to do 
there was also this talk about doing well for a guy who has been very loyal to your organization and done quite a lot in giving Portland the reputation that it has. There's a lot factoring there. And I bet you it was a lot of talk about, well, he's going to come here regardless and kind of just playing hardball. And, you know, that's how you should in negotiation tactic. You have a lot of leverage. And I'm sure Cronin was probably just annoyed and was like, okay, I need to look around. There was a lot of fear from a lot of organizations that, okay, if I trade for him, he won't play or will be pretty disgruntled. Milwaukee was probably the best landing spot in the sense that you get a guy who's a great player, you pair him up with one of the best players in basketball and a team that already has made the playoffs, has won a championship, and you add one of the best shooters of all time to that, it could do a lot and probably at least made Dame be like, okay, I'm fine here. I I did also hear that about a week before the trade went through, there was a very private message sent out to two teams that Damian Lillard would potentially play for you if you traded for him. Those two teams were obviously the Milwaukee Bucks. The other team was the Brooklyn Nets. I don't know how truthful that was, but it seems that at this point, Dame is committed to playing in Milwaukee. He's not going to hold out. He's going to play. Yeah. It, from I mean, he showed up to media day, took photos, you know, answered questions. Um, he, for, I mean, I think he'd be foolish not to in the sense that you can win a championship if things go right and people stay healthy. But here's the flip side of the coin. So Dame goes to the Bucks. That is the big part of this trade. But there was multiple teams involved with this. Um, and there's a lot of other pieces, a lot of draft capital floating around. But the main thing that Milwaukee lost in that process, other than Grayson Allen, was Drew Holiday. They lost the guy they had traded for as their starting point guard to form the first, we'll call it, big three. and to won like a form Yeah, won a championship with him. And they trade him away. And to me, that made sense, unless it was going to be Middleton being moved, that you had to give up one of those guys and Drew Holiday and Damian Lillard play the same spot. But we talked about this before the show. You lose a ton of defense moving on from Drew, but it was a necessary gamble for these championship aspirations. Yes and no, because Drew Holiday also was the heart and soul of that team. I mean, it it crushed him and his family. This wasn't one of those like this basketball is a business trade. This is, this is wow. You ripped me out of my home. Like he was, he was happy to be there. He had literally the day before said on a podcast that he wanted to retire a Milwaukee buck. He loved it so much there. And they just sent him away for a dude who's going to play two years and then bounce back to Portland. I I, I wasn't even going to bother asking if you think Damian Lillard is going to go back to Portland. I know he's going to go back to Portland for the last year of his career. It's heartbreaking. It does happen. It is basketball. We saw it happen with DeMar DeRozan a few years ago with the Raptors. You hate to see these guys get traded, but at the end of the day, you're right. It made more sense to trade Drew than Middleton because Drew and Dame played the same position. Maybe they could play together at a 1-2. I think Drew might have even technically been drafted as a shooting guard. But either way, it's it's a lot more work. to You have to completely change how your team works, whereas in this case, you just become more offensive-oriented than defensive-oriented. So, yeah. So, but going back to it. Yeah, going back to it. To me, there if they kept 
Drew, which I don't think even financially would have been feasible. You just would have, you would have had a tough fit there. And what you give up in defense, in my opinion, with health, you make up for an offense and playmaking. And not, may not playmaking, just ability to create and shoot. Playmaking, Drew did a good job of it, don't get me wrong, but Dame is Dame. The Bucks have kind of, not to the same degree, but have kind of done what the Suns are doing, where they took a bunch of superstars, paired them up, and have depleted a lot of their bench depth. You got rid of Grayson Allen, who was not as good as when they were on their past championship runs. Um, they got rid of some draft capital for him. And then there was one other player, right? Yeah, there was a rookie who um, was just drafted. I'm blanking on his name entirely. Um, that also went to Portland in that trade. Uh, it was a three-team deal. So so the, the Bucks only landed Damian Lillard. I'll just, I'll just put out the full details here. The Blazers got DeAndre Ayton from the Suns. They got Drew Holiday. They got that rookie whose name I'm blanking on. And then uh, whatever, I think it was two draft picks plus swaps or a swap or ended up being and then the Suns got Joseph Nurkic from Portland Grayson Allen from Milwaukee and then also Nasir Little and Keon Johnson both coming from Portland the big head scratcher here is what the heck are the Suns doing I have said to multiple of my friends that they're playing 2k they just seem to keep making moves it, it seemed like they were just adding guys in free agency then then it started to come together a little bit and go we go okay maybe this can work and now they do this trade. Nurkic, good player, but he doesn't stay healthy very much. I want to go back to something you said before we started the show, that the overall winner of this trade was not Damian Lillard. It was not the Milwaukee Bucks. And it was neither of the other teams. But it was DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Why is that? It Put it this way. Ayton on the Suns wasn't working out. Even before, even, even with Monty Williams not being a coach star anymore, Monty Williams wanted nothing to do with him. And to me, a uh, highly revered coach like that not wanting anything to do with you is a problem. It shows something. But also, too, I'm sure there's frustration you have at the start of his rookie career, just Devin Booker running the show. Then you had Chris Paul. Okay, those two guys are going to run the show. Throw Kevin Durant in there. You're doing minimal work, and you were a first overall pick, probably with – at least being a one or two guy, and now you're relegated to a four. I know Chris Paul's not there anymore, but you, Bradley Beal coming in, you're you are the bottom of the offense. You you are there to get rebounds and putbacks, and that isn't maybe some pick and roll ISO plays, but that's about player. it. That's what you're there for. Yeah, and I'm not saying this trade will make DeAndre Ayton a star. In fact, I will guarantee you won't be a star. But when you look at it, his numbers, I bet you they'll be better. And I bet you the change of scenery where, you know, he won't be the number one guy in Portland. But I think he'll be a lot more valuable, especially if Scoot Henderson has some struggles, which will happen in a fairly young and dynamic team where not every night's going to be just 30 and 10 like Dame was doing. Yeah. I, I like that aspect of him getting a change of scenery, I think it'll do him well, assuming he doesn't burn every bridge immediately, like he was seen to be doing in Phoenix. But Yeah, the change of scenery is all he needed. It's tough because the idea of a 
center being a large focal point of offense is becoming less and less prominence and the jury's still out if that can win you a championship. It, I, it literally just did. Well, <laughs> okay, enough, yeah. But, three okay. teams that do it and two of the teams just played in the NBA Finals. I, it absolutely didn't work. I meant that more so as a a big the Jokic, Giannis before and Bam. Bam, we're gonna throw aside for a sec. Is not the number one option. Those guys are generational talents in the sense that they can do a lot more facilitating than the typical big man. Okay, fine, but then you still uh, have your your Embiid. Yeah, I mean Embiid, you're always gonna have that. That's more of your Embiid. Towns is kind of on the fence of being a playmaker, but that team's just that. I'll, I'll throw Al Horford in that mix, despite that he's aged. I'm gonna punch you through the screen. I know, but you know I'm right too. <laughs> Whatever, but the like building around a big man that's not a a point big. Right. Your your non Jokic's. It, it's tough to win a championship just. Having them as the focal point. Giannis falls in that gray area too. Maybe I'm just wrong, but Aiden is a lot less skilled than those guys. Make no mistake about it. And I think having him as a larger part of the offense, but not the guy, will do wonders, assuming he can stay out of the way of Scoot and not be a problem for the team. So. I, I do have to say one more thing on, on Portland, where a lot of this seemed kind of messy with the whole Miami situation and all that. But they were able to do something a little sneakily that not a lot of people may have really picked up on yet. And they recreated what they had a few years ago. They have your solid, nothing special, but can be close to all-star level center. And used to be Nurkic, now Aiton. And you got your potentially all-star caliber guard backcourt duo and Scoot Henderson and Shaden Sharp, or what used to be Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum. That team got to a Western Conference Finals. They got smoked by the Warriors, but they got there. That was a very competitive team. If this if this young core can be anything like that, it's a very good model to build after. But what I will say is if you tried it with Dame and it didn't work, Scoot and Shaden try it, and it doesn't work with them. Blazers are gonna have to try a new formula. It's not. It's not working anymore. But I like. I like the idea that it almost worked. Let's give it one more try. I do like that. What they did there. All right, and then the follow up because Drew Holiday was never gonna play through a rebuilding Portland Trail Blazers team that just drafted a point guard third overall. Drew Holiday was immediately shocked. There were a few team in- teams interested. Of course, Miami's name came up. Philadelphia's name was actually one of the more aggressive names that we heard. However, in the end, he ended up going to painstaking Boston Celtics. Like I said, it could have been worse. Drew Holiday to the Boston Celtics in return for Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, and I believe another pick and another swap. Hmm. That Yeah, that is a good trade by Boston because it gives yeah. them – the defense that they were going to miss without Marcus Smart there. Yep. Um, I know there's been a lot of discourse this summer. Malcolm Brogdon has been a very prominent trade ship. He was a part of the Porzingis deal until that fell through. Uh, and part of it is because of his health. Like, to, to kind of go back, 
the Porzingis deal obviously happened and he's on the Celtics, but originally instead of smart, it was Brogdon going to the Clippers and, you know, some other people being shifted around. But where I'm getting at with this is you lost in that trade Brogdon, you lost Robert Williams, who, I mean, watching him, he's fine. Celtics fans were very high on him. I'm sure they miss him, but he played 20 minutes a game, and Al Horford played bulk of the minutes anyway in the playoffs. Poor man's so. bam, and I mean a broke man's bam. Oh, yeah, 100%. But Brogdon, though, I mean, the injury questions were always going to be a thing, but the facts, like when he was on, he shot lights out and yeah, I mean, yeah. was great. And I think, assuming he's healthy, the Trailblazers could – have some decent use for him running the second team off the bench. And I think that'll work wonders and really help them in the long run. But yeah, the Celtics got another fairly defensive, heavy point guard. And what do you think about that? For, well, so there, I got a lot to talk about with this trade um, real quick for Portland. The only issue I see for them on this side of the trade is that I don't know if Brogdon's going to play this year. Every report that I had read so far when when he was still with the Celtics was that he it, 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 nobody knows. No, he's he's definitely not ready to start the year. Um, you could see it in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. His shots were short. He couldn't shoot really. Um, and this injury could keep him out a long time. And they have no reason to rush him back because they have um, Scoot Henderson. And everybody's forgotten about the fact that they re-signed Afrini Simons a few years ago to a four-year deal. Afrini Simons is a very capable basketball player who can play the one or the two. He's very, very skilled. And I don't think they have any reason to just go away from him right now. So I don't. I think Brogdon is very likely going to become an afterthought in Portland very quickly. Okay. I, I, okay. I don't disagree where if uh, those guys can develop, yeah, they will – blossom be the focal points of the offense and you won't think twice until that happens and assuming Brogdon's healthy you know you're talking about the Eastern Conference Finals where shots were short semifinals I'll tell you what that he just was lighting up the Sixers he made every shot he took it felt like yes he so, did and and that, he's, he's been the rookie of the year he's led the league in I believe he's led the league in three-point shooting before or been very close to if not he's a very yeah, he's, basketball player He's a 50-40-90 member, too. Yeah, but health, 50-40-90 yeah, is no no, no short club to, be, you know, to, to, to look poorly down on. But, I mean, health is the most important thing, and it could change his career. So we, we will see. If he plays, he's a great asset to a young team. If he doesn't, again, Drew was never really going to play for them, so it didn't really matter. As for Boston, great trade, excellent trade. Depth is now one thing I'm a little concerned about. They went from having maybe the best eight-man rotation in basketball to I'm a little concerned who eight is, seven even, maybe. Um, the starting lineup is good, but I, 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 there's a very clear cap on this team for me, and that's Kristaps Porzingis. He's not a winner. He's not someone I envision being capable of actually assisting a team deep in a playoff run. And, and I mean that. Not necessarily because he's a bad player, but because of what what he's going to get put up against. Let, let's let's go through this. He could have to guard Joel Embiid. I don't even think I need to explain why that would go poorly for him. Bam Adebayo will run him out of the building. 
The only Eastern Conference team that he maybe matches up well against is the Bucks, but that's still putting him on Lopez, which pulls him out of the paint, the only spot he can be useful on def- at defensively. He's a liability. And if the Bucks are smart and put Giannis at the five during some stretches, again, you can't play Chris Stapps. And now you've traded your hybrid five. It's not Horford anymore. Center is the only concern I have for them. And and that's scary that they have this much talent on their team. But right now, to me, Boston's a regular season team. Yeah, I, I still think if they can get together, they'll be incredibly good. But injury potential for Porzingis is a big one. We saw it happen to Gallinari last year, even before he played a, a single second. Um, also, just can Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown coexist? They can exist to a degree, but can they actually do it enough to win a championship? And, you know, I know the memes about his left hand, but it's it's it, it, it was a prevalent problem, the dribbling aspect of it. Yes. Yeah, if, G, if Jalen Brown could become a spot-up shooter, that's yeah. potentially nice. Seemed like it in some of those games against Miami. Um, let me ask one more question that's been on everybody's mind. Is the Eastern Conference Finals already set? Is it Milwaukee versus Boston? I We talked about this before we started. It For the most part, every one of those teams, I think, matches up well against another. It's really going to come down to matchups. Like, in my opinion, assuming that team is healthy, the Miami Heat match up very well against the Boston Celtics and can beat them. Now, I do think if the Miami Heat play the Bucs this year, that may be the inverse where it's like, okay, the Bucs could beat the Heat. Sixers, I think, uh, I need to see what the Sixers shape out to be. But they could be a problem for, honestly, the Heat and them could be neck and neck in terms of what they can do. We'll see what happens to Harden. They match up well with them at the very least. Um, The... Like there's teams that can be problems for other teams. So it's really going to come down to what the seating is, who are the matchups for each. Um, I do think that the Eastern conference finals will have the Celtics in it. I think the bucks, the bucks would be the one I'd be concerned about upset alert in the second round, just because like if Dame's off or Giannis folds, if but. they get their if they get their bad matchup, which their bad matchup is Philly or Miami, that's their bad. Miami maybe it depends how their season goes because we've seen them be the the Milwaukee Bucks kryptonite before. We've also seen the Milwaukee Bucks run right through the Miami Heat in the playoffs. So it, it kind of depends on how Miami season go. But but what I do want to say is that. How do I how do I put this? There is no definitively best team in the East right now. There are four teams that can all win it. Maybe five if you want to throw Cleveland in there. However, it it always for me is hard pressed to say that the East doesn't go through that the conference doesn't go through the team that just won it. Not saying Miami's necessarily even going to be a top four seed because they were an eight seed last year. But they're they're going to come show up during the playoffs. And if they are a top four seed, I think it's going to be very hard to not say they go back to the conference finals because it doesn't matter what happens to them in the regular season. Everybody now knows what happens during the playoffs. They are a different team entirely. 
The question for me becomes, do they play Boston or do they play Milwaukee? Because as sad as I am to say about Philadelphia, they have done nothing this offseason. They brought in Kelly Oubre. Great job. Well, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, unfortunately, the Heat haven't either. Tyler Hero and, got healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. But the Heat were the standard last year. That's my point. The Heat were the best team. The, the chance to repeat is lower now because teams have tried to improve to beat that. But I don't think Boston got enough better to beat it. I think Milwaukee probably did. So what I guess I'm trying to really say here is that I'm going to say Heat Bucks Eastern Conference Finals. Well, yeah, we'll see where the seeding which, goes down. Which would be the ultimate, just like kids cover your ears, Joe Cronin masturbation session. And <laughs> cut that if we need to. <laughs> well. I think that's a good spot to end basketball, unless you want to talk. I, I guess one real quick side note. Joel Embiid, being from Cameroon, and I believe having a French, I forget how specifically, but it could be because Cameroon is part of a French colony, or I'm not 100% sure on that, but he has Cameroonian citizenship, French citizenship, and is in the United States for basketball. He could have technically committed to all three teams, or sorry, one of the three. He committed to play for Team USA, though, yes, which um, after losing FIBA this year, <laughs> I feel like this this happens constantly. Not maybe not constantly, but every few years or so, it's like, OK, the United States doesn't win some basketball tournament with some second rate may not be the right word, but like not the best of the best here. And they're like, all right, let's assemble a super team and slaughter everyone. And then we'll go back to being a second rate team again. <laughs> United, let me put it this way. Both the United States and professional athletes are two groups that have very fragile egos. And I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, like the team that's being assembled, I forget exactly what the starting lineup is, but like LeBron has committed to play in Paris in 2024. I think Booker is another one who's spotlighting that. I think Durant is another. I mean, Embiid's Embiid. He'll do a ton of damage. Yeah, I, I saw the, you know, the, the hypothetical roster that could be, you know, Curry, Durant, Booker, LeBron, Embiid, uh, Davis, Butler. Um, Jesus. Oh, I mean, I mean, who cares at this point? Yeah, you know, yeah he, I was going to say, keep naming it, just random people and you'll be it, better. It's over. And as cool as it is to get to see those, you know, like we talked about before, the players that you don't see show up, light it up all the time, get a chance. Who can say no to want to see all those players play together my, besides the team they're going up against? My problem, though, is, like, it's going to be a boring Olympics. Like, it is a foregone conclusion that the United States will trounce teams by 25. Sure, but they'll lose one warm-up, well, like, one tune-up game to Spain, and everybody will lose their mind. No, 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 no. They're going to – it's going to be a five-point game. That everyone's going to lose their mind. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, let's hop off of basketball here. Before we get into the, the main meat of the show, which is football, we're going to talk about baseball, though, as the playoffs have fully begun. Uh, we talked about the, the ramp up, I think, two weeks ago in our last show. Cubs ended up blowing their lead. They didn't make the playoffs. Mariners were the odd team out in the AL. So we moved into the wild card round. We had in the NL the, Ash, excuse me, the, the uh, Braves and the Dodgers at the top two seeds that got a bye in the first round, and in the AL, it was the Orioles and the Astros. So Astros, a team that we've seen get that a few times now. The Orioles, big surprise to a lot of people. So starting in the American League, the wild card rounds, we started with the three-seeded uh, Minnesota Twins taking on the six-seeded Toronto Blue Jays. 
the big word around the Twins was record-wise, they shouldn't be here. They're only here because they won their division. They haven't won a playoff series since, what was it, 2003? Maybe earlier? It may have even been a game. Like, they were atrocious. But, like, 04. Something, yeah, something a long time ago. And not only, like you said, do they win a game, they will they will complete the first of what will eventually be four wild card sweeps in in, in the wild card round this year in baseball. Uh, the Minnesota Twins, though, they came to play. They they had that chip on their shoulder of we're the team that nobody thinks should be here. Ran right through the Blue Jays again. They won their division, so there is that to be said. So that. Is there a little more to winning their, your division, maybe in a sport like baseball, than in football when we see a team like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers limp into the playoffs? Uh, that's It's such a tough one because you play a prominent amount of your division. And the AL Central is a lot worse than the AL East, in my opinion. The AL East had a lot of, you know, even the bottom teams, the Yankees and Red Sox, still had very good records this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the talk about the Twins not being good is warranted. However, one aspect that was good for them is winning their division and being the higher seed for the wild card gets you home field advantage for all three games if necessary, or in this mm-hmm. case, two. That plays such a big difference, and a City like Minneapolis or a state like Minnesota that's pretty starved for any semblance of a good sports team at this point. You know, there's been moments that like Lynx have been good. The Lynx were half decent <laughs> WNBA. The Timberwolves haven't really been good and they got an eight seed in one year. Yeah, and they then did. Seven seed a few years ago. Yeah. And they celebrated like they won the whole thing. They, they're starved. And I do think that plays a factor when no one's really been good. You need to really go all out. And Minnesota did not disappoint. They beat the Blue Jays, who, from what I'm starting to see with the Blue Jays now, a fairly young team, they just they cannot get over that playoff hump. No, it's and really unfortunate, too. <laughs> they're such a fun team. They are. Vladdy Jr. is a great player. But at the same time, oh, my cat's going to knock everything over, but I, I caught him. <laughs> at the same time, they're just, they just choke consistently. And I'm sure Toronto fans are having big issue with them. Say hi, bud. You got this. It's the, it's the, um, the Homer Simpson meme where it's the guy wearing the Toronto Blue Jays shirt. And he backs into the bush and he comes out and he's wearing a Dallas Cowboys shirt. Same yeah, thing. Yep. <laughs> it's the same thing. You got any thoughts, buddy? No? Okay. You want me to put you down? All right. That was, that was Baker's cat, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. Can't see him because our production quality is not that good. But uh, well, going back, back to it. Next week. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I'm happy for the Twins. I really am. Not to say I dislike the Blue Jays. They're a fun, exciting team. Very young. You know, they're our border friends, you know, into Canada. Love Toronto. But they cannot win. Even last year when they played the Mariners at home, Mariners are also a very young, dynamic team, but they couldn't do anything against them. And that's being in the Rogers Center, which can get incredibly loud. Yes, it can. I, I'm sure it's frustrating for them, but they're making good strides where they're making the playoffs. 
but now they need to they they need to win a game and I'm not saying they need like if they were to win their division next year it doesn't fix the problem they need to win playoff games even if it's a wild card just to see something happen the good news is that they're getting all these young players into the playoffs at the very least they're getting this experience it's not like Mike Trout where that one time he got kind of there it didn't even matter like it right. you know at least it's a little bit closer so it's good experience but Tough, tough way to exit for the Blue Jays. Congratulations to the Twins. They move on to get the two-seeded Astros. Oh, one more point here. One real quick thing. The Twins last year, I think, were 27th in pitching. Like, wow. real bottom of the barrel. You know, de- I feel bad saying decent, but, like, they, they had a semblance of what they, they were. They were just, they were okay last year. They had bad pitching. This year, they're first. Yeah, I mean, well, they made some good moves. I think they brought in Pablo Lopez, if I'm not mistaken, a few other names. They got some good guys. They got pitching is so important. We as Phillies fans know that oh, yeah. pitching is so important. And then, yeah, I mean, Correa is there too. That was, you know, that whole saga went down this off season, and I think it's been kind of a footnote at this point. But yeah, Correa is there, and he's playing, and Byron Buxton's still there. Byron. Buxton. I know, Good but gosh. I'm excited to see what they'll do, and we'll, they, they will play the Astros in the ALDS, which not a favorable matchup because that team has a lot of playoff experience and a lot of good players. I have to interrupt you really quickly. We need to jump into football really, really quickly, just for a second before we jump back out of football, before we get fully into it, because Jonathan news? Taylor has effectively, effect, officially been activated off the pup list and will play in week five. But, like, this doesn't solve my problem. Will he play a lot of snaps? It seems like they're planning on it. it, does, it from what I see, it it just says he's playing. It, 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 it does not say anything about if he's splitting carries with Moss, if he's even the featured back, if if he's even going to take snaps. But he has been activated, and he will, in theory, play. So he will, in theory, get snaps. I would say wait a week. Put him in your fantasy lineups just because we don't know. And it's a tough matchup anyway. I would say don't do it. Well, I, well your I, situation, you might have to do it. <laughs> well, folks, make sure you tweet at us telling me who's going to play more snaps or score more fantasy points, Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor. I will put them in, and it'll be the opposite because I am 0-4 and I hate my life. Anywho. All right. Sorry. We'll get to that in a little bit, but back to baseball. All right. So the other series in the AL wild card was the four-seeded Rays and the five-seeded Rangers. And again, two games and it's over. The Rangers take it. The lower seed this time takes takes command, and so the the red hot AL East 0-2 in the wild card. Unfortunately, as hot as the Rays started the season two, could not obviously couldn't continue that energy all year long, but couldn't re re get it to resurface for the playoffs. Rangers, where the Rangers as an organization may not be. The, the most experienced in the last just couple of years for playoffs, but the players they brought in have a lot of playoff experience and they were able to get it done against the Rays. And now they move on and we'll get what some people might see as a susceptible one seed in the Baltimore Orioles. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that's a favorable matchup for the Rangers. Um, it's, this is not me trying to count out the Orioles. We talked a lot about this with the Blue Jays. They just don't have 
the playoff experience and makes sense. They're a fairly young team as well. Uh, Was that? They're a very young team. Yeah. It's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Um, Now, with that being said, like the Rangers, for the most part, don't have a whole lot of playoff experience either. Like they brought in a lot of guys who your your Corey Seegers of the world who have played for the Dodgers and have that playoff experience, but it's kind of like playing together is gonna be an interesting thing to Different. see. Yep. They they've obviously proved it that they can slaughter the Rays and the Rays this year, great record, finished second in the at least, decimated with injuries, but mm-hmm. did not put up much of a fight in the wild card. I this my problem is it's everything screams at me to say the Rangers will upset the Orioles, but also I know it's because I'm underestimating the Orioles because our entire lives, they've been terrible. Look, no, nothing more do I want than a Phillies Orioles world world series, but it's that, that that's like me playing MLB the show. I couldn't even make that happen. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It, it's exciting. I, I'm rooting for the Orioles, but you're right. My, my gut says Rangers. So, well, yeah, let's let's do our predictions for the AO. So, Astros Twins. I, I, I would feel wrong picking the Twins, even with how good they played. I have to pick the Astros. My my heart and soul wants to say Orioles Twins and my all of my logic is telling me it's going to be Astros Rangers. Yeah, I mean the Ash. Well, start with the Astros. They have won the AL. If they win this year, it'll be their third straight year. Yeah, they're the Kansas City Chiefs of baseball. Yeah, and in yeah, they're incredibly good. You know, 2022 they won the World Series. 2021 they went to the World Series and lost. 2020. They were one of the worst teams that got in the playoffs and went to the ALCS and lost in, I think, coming back to game, to game seven. And then 2019, they uh, 2019 was that the one that they lost to? Oh boy, 2019 was when they lost to the Nationals. 2018, they lost in the ALCS to the Red Sox. 2017, they won a World Series. Like. You're right, the Chiefs, 100%. That's all I'm saying. It's like they're they're a dynasty right now, and you can all you say all you want about the cheating scandals, but they've proven that they're still a good team. Yeah. Well past that. So, and then we're both in, set on the Astros winning that series with the Twins and Rangers and Orioles again. I I feel like it's all set up for Astros Rangers. I really do. That that Texas Texas that, yeah. AL AL championship. Um. Okay. Then. I'll I'll agree with that. I I want the Orioles to <laughs> I just I do too. I really do. But then out of Astros Rangers, it's impossible to not say the Astros. Yeah, I mean, especially with them getting Verlander back too. Like it picture. Just, it just you, you basically have the very similar lineup to what you went to the World Series with last year. Exactly, and you're right in that spot. So there's the AL. Moving into the NL wild card, start with the three versus the six again. We had the Brewers and the Diamondbacks. Arizona's first playoff berth in God ever? I don't know. Um, no, they won a World Series. I know. Let me tell you something, though. The at, the mood in Arizona, the atmosphere was who cares we're getting killed. Nobody, not one person that I talked to 
thought that the Diamondbacks were going to even win a game against the Brewers. And I'm sitting here like, they're going to win. They're going to they're gonna kill them. The Brewers do not match up well against the Diamondbacks. And lo and behold, did not match up well against the Diamondbacks. The young bats of the Diamondbacks came to play. Corbin Carroll is a baller. I don't care what anybody says. It, to me, though, it was this was a this was a the Brewers were a team that never struck me as a serious contender. Is what I'm trying to say here. They never they have good pitching and good hitting, but they they don't do anything great. And that's what really really was the reason where I was like, I don't care if the Phillies get this team, I don't care if the Diamondbacks get this team. This team is not going to get out of the wild card. And suffice it to say, they showed. Brief moments of fight, but the Diamondbacks were in full control. It's funny you say that, though, because we talk about central divisions, like with the Twins. Mm-hmm. The NL Central is the weakest. Well, NL East was funky, but NL Central probably, I would say, is the weakest. And mm-hmm. the Brewers didn't have like it's not like the brewers if they weren't in the central wouldn't have made the playoffs they still had a better record than diamondbacks and maybe even the phillies too i forget the exact specifics but still a good team it just they're not dynamic they're like either really on and they'll score like five or six runs like they're just kind of like they inconsistent is the right word for them either I was like, it feels like they don't have a groove that they hit. They're just they're just a good baseball team, but there's no second tier to them. There's no next level to their play. There's no like second gear that's like, oh yeah, we can get to the next level. Um But yeah, I, I this to me, like minus having to play Milwaukee was probably the most favorable matchup for anyone. And the Diamondbacks who keep talking about these young teams another young team they showed up and in game two when they're down three four runs were able to pop off and put up seven runs and the Diamondbacks are just a team's worst nightmare where they're just going to score a bunch of runs and they can take it to that second gear now if they don't hit that they're going to get killed but they when they're on they go a notch above what teams can do and it's a scary matchup for the Dodgers, but they're, they're – I'm not going to call them like the Phillies from last year, but like a lot of similarities where they're just playing with house money. They're like, we're just going to go out there and do whatever we can. And that's yeah. what I had hoped the Blue Jays would do. But the Blue Jays, I think, are like, oh, we don't want to mess things up. They're playing a little more safe. Diamondbacks are like, we're just going to see what happens. Play, man, and that's how you have to do it at this point, especially as a young team. I think pitching is what's eventually going to do the Diamondbacks in. Yeah. Um, but especially against a hot, a hot bat team like the Dodgers. But regardless, great job by them winning their first playoff series. And again, God knows how long. Um, tough, tough way for the Brewers to go down. That leaves one series left in the wild card round. Uh, a rivalry matchup between the four-seeded Philadelphia Phillies and the five-seeded Miami Marlins, who had a hot, hot finish to the season to put themselves into the play, into the postseason picture ahead of the Cubs, ahead of the Diamondbacks. However, Philly's way more experienced of a team in this situation. There was basically no fight from the Miami Marlins in this series. And the, the key moment of the entire two-game sweep 
was the Bryson Stott Grand Slam, akin to Shane Victorino's Grand Slam all those years ago off CC, my favorite playoff moment ever. Great showing from the Phillies in the first first round. It, it really left nothing to be desired. There was there was no part of that series where I was like, wow, I hope we can clean this up. Obviously, I want to play better in every aspect, but it was a great series. It was a great, great two games. All right, I got more football breaking news. This may help me for tomorrow. Jonathan Taylor and Colts agree on a three-year, $42 million extension, including $26.5 million guaranteed. Wow. So, Zach Moss. Guess who's going to hold Zach Moss because Jonathan Taylor could get hurt. No. Jonathan Taylor could get hurt. That also could be to make him a more enticing trade piece. That, That happens a lot. Kyle Lowry signed an extension in Toronto only to get traded to Miami. I mean, you know, I wonder though, because yeah, I guess that's fair, even for football. We just don't see a lot of signing trades. But let's go back to baseball for a sec. We're talking about Phillies. It just maybe that gives me a little bit of clarity for tomorrow. Um, yeah, I, first and foremost, the Marlins not having Sandy Alcantara, huge blow to them. You know, he's out for the season. He's now had Tommy John surgery, will miss the entirety of next year. But, yeah, it's the rivalry between the NL East teams can do a lot. You know, we see it constantly in sports where there's just that extra ounce of, like, I want to beat this team. And honestly, from what I'm sure you've seen it, the Marlins are one of those teams, no matter how good or bad they are, they just they find ways to beat the Phillies, and it's really frustrating. It's, so it's, it's like Washington with the Eagles in football. I'm sorry I keep comparing to other sports, but it, it's just that team that plays you enough and they just know how to play you. Yeah. And I didn't like the, the matchup from that aspect. However, not having Alcantara made me feel a little better. But they, I'll tell you what, the Phillies pitching staff, both Wheeler and Nola, showed up and played brilliantly. You know, Wheeler allowed one run in six and two thirds innings. You know, our relief staff finished the rest of the game. And then Nola pitched a gem. They, the Marlins ended up scoring one run in the top of the ninth, but that was it. Bryson Stott's grand slam is the big thing to talk about. If you haven't seen it, please listen to the video of no commentary, just ESPN, like ultra HD sound. Because they're singing his walk-up song, which is uh, Tyro Verde's it's A-OK. Great song. And the entire stadium is singing it. And then first pitch, lefty on lefty, grand slam. Huge hit. Huge play. To kind of go back to everything, let's real quickly talk about game one. Because ain't the big story about it. Philly just won. There are some base running woes. Um Big talk about the third base coach holding Schwarber mm-hmm. at third on a. It went probably. It was. I don't know how far. It was probably middle of the outfield, and Schwarber had a chance to tag up and go home, and he held him. People were very up in arms about that. I also know how fast Kyle Schwarber is, and I think that would have been a closer play than people give it credit for. Yes, yes. But I also- think he would have made it. I know there was a point during that series where there's a, an image of Bryce Harper very clearly blowing by the third base coach's signal to hold up. And what the one thing I want to bring up is, could that be detrimental potentially to have happen this late in the season? That you're just not on the same page as your, your base coach? I, well, 
Yes and no. I I think the Schwarber one, and people will probably fight me to death on it. I don't think it's as bad of a. He would have made it. I'm pretty sure about that. But I don't think it's as bad of a decision as you'd think. It doesn't work out because he's on third. They end up not scoring any runs in the first inning. It's a little bit of a momentum killer. If whoever's up next hits a single, no one cares about it. We we all stop talking about it. But since there was no run, right. we have an issue with it. Bryce Harper, Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, those are guys who you send home immediately because they are super, super fast. And I would throw um, Sosa in there as well because he's, he's got some speed too. Maybe Pache too. Yeah, I, Pache I need to see more of, but he's also super fast. But that team... The pitching was great. You allowed two total runs in two games. The hitting had its moments, and it was great to see. You had Bohm got it started in game one, which is awesome to see. Bryce Harper had his moments where he's getting hits. Uh, Schwarber had his double in game two. Stotts, Grand Slam, obviously. Um, It just, things were clicking, and... Bryson Stott is the X factor for this team in the sense that he is not expected to do a whole lot hitting. Like he's obviously it's nice if he gets on base. He's very skilled baseball player and can run, but he's not JT. He's not Schwarber. He's not Bryce Harper. There's not this list of guys who are expected to get hits and get on base. Kind of like last year with Brandon Marsh where if he is hitting home runs and hitting well, it's going to cascade and make that team impossible to stop. Yes. And that momentum will hopefully carry forward where you need your Castellanos of the world. You need your real Mudo. You need Bryce Harper. You need those guys who get hits and score runs. And if they're not, it's going to be a problem and will kill their playoff run. But it's exciting that, your Pache's, your Sosa's, your Stotts are also contributing. Yep. So if they do that, they will be impossible to stop, assuming their pitching staff doesn't screw yep. us. But I mean, that, that stays in control. Yeah. So moving forward with that then, so the Phillies get the Braves. A little different than how football works. It's not the one seed guarantees plays the lower seed. It is the Winner of 3-6 plays the two seed. The winner of 4-5 plays the one seed. It just makes it a little bit simpler. Nobody, There's no spending all weekend like you do in the NFL wondering who you're going to play in the next round of the playoffs. So, that being said, Diamondback Dodgers, who you got? I think the Dodgers are going to have a tough time with the Diamondbacks, and they're going to make it interesting. I think think it's going to be Dodgers in six, but I bet you the Diamondbacks are going to cause some chaos. I think their pitching is going to do them in. But oh, sorry. I, mean, I cut you off. I was no, you're good. I, that was it, yeah. My, my one point is I was going to say I bet the the uh, Diamondbacks win game one, but I bet the Dodgers take take control from there. Yeah. A 1-1 split going back to Arizona, and then maybe they – yeah, I can see that, where it's like they may lose one or two yeah, in and- Arizona. Oh, it's, it's, it's five games. Apologies. So. Yeah, only, oh, that's right. Round two, only five. But still, I think I, I still even think that the Diamondbacks will take it and then it still won't. The Dodgers will just be the Dodgers. 
I think three to one, three to one's a reasonable thing. And I know the Dodgers last year lost to the Padres and, you know, lower seed division rival. It's, you know, there's a lot of similarities there, but I think the Padres had a little bit more veteran experience and a little bit more power. So a lot pitching. Yeah. A lot more consistent pitching, I'll say. Yeah, that's too. Um, but no, I got the Dodgers there and then this is a tougher, this is a better Braves team than last year that the Phillies beat. I want to say that Ronald Acuna is the runaway MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got probably the best pitching or to starting rotation in baseball. That being said, I think the Phillies are better too. I really do think the Phillies are a better team than they were last year. And yeah. you don't like when I do this, but I like to support my team. I think the Phillies are going to win. I really do. I don't like giving my team a kiss fine. of death. I know you picked the Eagles to lose this week. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny, though. All I want in this series is Spencer Strider back at Citizens Bank Park. And I want to see the Phillies tee off on him. I just it would make my heart so full and so happy. They need to limit Acuna. They need to hold him to one hit a game. Just I mean, he's so lethal. And like you said, the runaway MVP for obvious reasons when you're hitting 40 and have 40 and 40 for stolen bases. That's insane. Yeah. That's 40 insane. and 60 now too, isn't it? He, I, he broke, yeah. he just broke the Braves record for most amount of steals in a season. That's all I know. You need to limit Acuna, obviously. And I would say too, it needs to be hot starts. Like, you, you need to get runners on base. You need to kind of – they have a great pitching staff. You need to blow through that pitching staff pretty immediately because if you send in their long-term relievers or their their middle pitchers, that's where they can do a lot of damage. I worry when Strider – if Strider goes in and he's pitching seven innings and just striking out everyone or ground balls. The Phillies like, don't start scoring until the, the last third of the game. We're not going to be able yeah. to keep up with this team. Do you know who's starting tonight for the Phillies? Is it Walker? I want to say, hang on, I just saw it. Phillies versus Braves tonight is? It is Ranger Suarez. Ranger Suarez, okay. That's, I wanted to make sure. This, this one is tough in the aspect that Suarez will pitch. He's not going to give you seven most likely if he does that's going to be the greatest night of my life they just they need to get through the braves pitching staff and then limit acuna I mean, there's plenty of people they need to limit they, they have such a great yeah. top to bottom well, order we're gonna have suarez tonight next game will be lorenzen and then we'll go back Ooh. to the top i doubt we're going three you don't think walker's gonna pitch at all you know me and Tijuana Walker. He's got like 16 wins this year. <laughs> I know. I know. I just hate him so much. Um, <laughs> I hate him so much. No, he probably he probably will get it over Lorenzen. I just got so attached to Lorenzen after his first game with Philly. Oh, you when he throws a no-hitter? Yeah, I'd also be very attached to said pitcher. Um, I, they just... The other part, too, like I'm not saying anything that's like groundbreaking for baseball, and that's why I'm like convincing words here. The bottom of the brace, like the brace is such a good order, top to bottom. You got to prevent 
people at the bottom of the order getting on base. Yeah, I mean, the way to beat the Braves is to play plain old baseball. It's to, you don't need to do anything fancy. You need to do everything by the book to beat this team. That's how you can beat this team. I think someone needs to fight someone. No, it's not hockey, but we can. Where's Where's Carlos Ruiz? Sign him for a day. Yeah, they need to. They need to split these games like last year. They can't go down 2-0 to Citizens Bank Park. That's the yeah. only thing. I no think way. they can win both at the bank though. Yeah. Well, in that case, who do you think takes that series, Phillies or Braves? I'm saying Phillies. I'm riding with them. So back-to-back years, we predicted the Phillies and the Dodgers in the NLCS. I think we both picked the Dodgers last year, if I'm not mistaken. I'm going mean, to pick the Phillies this year. I'm repeating the World Series of last year. I, I, I am not afraid of this. I am, I'm embracing what I think may be. I think we're going to get a repeat. I think we're going to see the Phillies and the Astros square off for round two this year. I'd like it. I'd like this year to history to change. But <laughs> yes. I, it's probably ignorant, but if they if the Phillies beat the Braves, I think they could beat the Dodgers. That's that's the thing is the and and getting the Braves in the second round is so much more important because you get them before they have actually even played a playoff game yet. Yeah. They could be cold, and the Phillies yeah. could jump out to a hot start because they're already playing. The Phillies already got the blood pumping, and they're they're hitters in the groove. That's what I always liked about getting that wild card series or game or whatever it's changed into over the years. Phillies and Astros. We want one thing, but what do we actually think would happen? No, oh, man. The only reason I want to say Astros is because you know how I am with my storylines and the whole getting Justin Verlander back thing. So like really, really feels like it pushes pushes that envelope of yeah, you you finish out this year, you win one more World Series, and then you're done. And then you it's, go just bang Kate Upton for the rest of your life. Not a bad life. Good life. It It's funny because I think the Astros have regressed. And I say that with, like, just compared to where they were last year. <laughs> They're not anything to laugh about by any means. But the Phillies have gotten better in, I'd say, every aspect. Yeah. And they went to the World Series last year. But man, we're talking about the fightings, Robbie. That's where it's. I know. You know what? Maybe we shelve this and wait to see what happens. But I, I just want to say one thing to to the point that you just said of of that the Astros are a great team, but they haven't really changed, especially with bringing back Verlander, haven't really changed very much since last year. Whereas the Phillies have improved in in almost every single aspect. And I actually remember a conversation I had with my dad back in 2013, I think it was, or 2014. The second year in a row, the Heat were playing the Spurs in the NBA Finals. And he asked me, um, well, so the, so he says, well, the Spurs, they, they got this guy, Kawhi, now who's really become a superstar in the league. What have the Heat done to improve their roster from last year? And I go, well, to be honest, nothing. They won the championship last year. They, they just kept the core pieces together. And he says, oh, well, then what are they going to do to stop him? And I didn't really have an answer. And, well, guess what? The Heat didn't really have an answer either. Yeah. So – I would love that to be the case here. I obviously, I think you're right though. I think let's let's put a pin in this until we get a little bit closer. Well, yeah. One other thing. Last year, 
before the World Series, the Phillies had won every home game. The Astros, I think, were undefeated on the road or had lost one road game. Like, they were killing teams. And, you know, 1-1 split going back to Philly. Phillies won game three. And then after that, they just went cold where, you know, it just never had any answer. And I want to see how good the Astros are away again. Because that was, they played so well in such hostile areas that it didn't matter how loud the bank was. They just, they produced. They were used to it. And And that's the thing about the team that's hated on the most is they can use that. If they're, if they're built the right way, like the Astros tend to be, like we've seen some other teams in the past be in various sports, they can use that as fuel. And that can be just as terrifying as having the most talented team. We'll put a pin in it though. And we'll go, we'll, See how these things net out, but let's 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 root for the Braves to lose again, and then we'll tell everyone to stop trying to make the DS a seven-game series because I know that's what's going to happen. Yeah, yeah, let's. Uh, yeah, we don't need that. I don't think the players need that either for their health. Yeah. All right. In the interest of not going over the two-hour mark today, I think we will skip week four recap and just jump right into our NFL week five predictions, and we'll kind of just break down some important storylines from the past few weeks that we've missed. I think that's probably going to be the most efficient way to do this. That's all right. Yeah, you're good. We're at like an hour or so. Oh, that's right. I guess we start. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm looking at this. Sorry, we'll cut this part. I'm looking at this because we started half an hour in. That's right. So we've only done an hour. Never mind. We can do week four. Um. I'm so, that's so stupid. Yeah, my bad. All right. Cool. Talked for a while, yeah. All right, never mind. All right, moving on. Let's recap some of the things that we've missed. We last uh, took, last recorded, I believe, in uh, right before Thursday Night Football Week 3. We are now just after Thursday Night Football Week 5. So we'll go through the Week 4 scores and some storylines that have kind of happened throughout Weeks 3 and 4. And then we'll end the show with our week five predictions for you, obviously, excluding the game that's already happened. So starting out in week four on Thursday night, where we always start, the Detroit Lions, who have been a storyline all year long, handled the Green Bay Packers 34 to 20. David Montgomery came back from injury, had a three touchdown day. I'm sure as a Jameer Gibbs fantasy owner, you were very, very happy. Don't don't talk to me, please. I, I, I can't talk to you about that. Lots going on with the Lions, though. You got Montgomery coming back from injury. Amon Ra is doubtful for this upcoming week, uh, this upcoming game versus Atlanta next in week five. Jamison Williams' suspension was shortened. He is now active and will be playing a small role in week five. You also have a full game lead over the Green Bay Packers for the division right now. The Detroit Lions came to play this year. They beat Kansas City. In week one, in Kansas City, handle their business in prime time here. I talked about them earlier in the year when we did our um, superlatives as my my pick to win this division. And right now, unless Green Bay can keep up this play that they've, this pace that they've been playing at for most of the season, Detroit's looking like a potential runaway in this division right now. The Vikings have gotten off to a slow start. We don't even need to discuss the Bears yet. How how competitive can Green Bay be with Detroit, or is this just going to be a situation where Detroit slowly and slowly, as the year goes on, separates himself from the rest of the division? Uh, I mean, 
based off how they've played and what I've seen so far from the North, they should be the clear-cut favorite to win the division. I also think, though, they're playing for that. I think Dan Campbell is finally going to get out of the playoffs this year. That's great. He needs that. I also think, though, they play a very safe and methodical way. And I think that's going to bite them in the ass come playoff time. Now, granted, there are plenty of other teams that just don't make the playoffs. And what I'm saying here is like, you know, okay, you're one of 14 teams to make it. At least you made it. Yeah. But I do think there's going to be, you know, Dan Campbell's known for being a guy's guy and, you know, you, you know, faking a punt in opening nights, like doing stuff that's very ballsy. But I also think, though, come time for postseason, he's going to probably fold if punched in the mouth. And I know we talked about the whole Gibbs situation, but I think that's just another case where it, he's operating under this pretense of it ain't broke, don't fix it. And... That will win you a division. That can win you a lot of football games. Don't get me wrong. That's good to do. But I think if stuff doesn't work, he's going to be like, mm-hmm. yeah. How often do we talk about during our NBA playoff discussions the the, necess- the the necessity of a coach to be able to change the game plan on the fly? It's the same for any sport, football especially. Right. And you're right. Dan Campbell is a very the system he has is very good. It's working very well so far. But you're right. It's very simple relatively easy to follow and if it doesn't work he's not necessarily somebody that is going to jump off of that and like exactly to your point of Jameer Gibbs Jameer Gibbs has not had a breakout game yet Jameer Gibbs has not really stepped up in any real way that we've expected and it's because Campbell hasn't really needed him to and hasn't really asked him to that's yeah their wins so far this year the Chiefs is a big win without Travis Kelsey but still a very big win in Arrowhead you lose to the Seahawks. Okay, fine. No, no that Taylor happens. Yeah, for the Chiefs either. No, Chris Jones. Yeah. And no Taylor Swift. <laughs> Hate it. Uh, you beat the Packers in primetime. Who's the other win that they had? Is it? They beat the Bears. Followed well for me. They beat the Falcons. You know. The Lions? The- the Lions beat the Falcons. No, they. Oh, they beat the. Sorry, they beat the Falcons. They play the Panthers. I messed that up. My bad. Yeah, that's you're, you're good. Yeah. Um. I also, the Seahawks are a good team. You know, Seahawks beat them in Detroit. In overtime. In, in overtime, still a big win for the Seahawks. They beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead. Okay, fine. But two. I mean, I don't think the Falcons are any good. That was proven. A, pretty relevant this past week, especially if Desmond Rurn needs to throw a football and the Packers, them stopping the Packers was impressive because they've looked Packers have looked serviceable, but their next games are the, they're playing the Panthers. They're playing the bucks. Those, the Panthers should be an easy win. The bucks may be tougher because they're playing in Tampa. I want to see what they do when they play the Ravens. Mm-hmm. When they play, they play the Chargers. I, that that should be doable, and that's like a good gauge for me because they should win that game. Bet the over that day. Yeah, unless it's eighty, then don't. 
But <laughs> I still, uh, but they play the Broncos again. Like their schedule to me is pretty easy, all things considered. They play the Raiders. They play the Cowboys once, which is a tough game, but they should easily run away with it. My problem is if you're playing all these soft, cushiony games, what happens when you're playing a tough team in the playoffs? You're you're a if you're a three seed and you're playing uh what you play the six? Six yeah. in that case, yeah. Like you're playing a, a Seattle again. You're like you're, you're Seattle or you're getting Thing, you know, if, if the, the Washington or the Giants turn it around, they can always be a formidable opponent. No, it's it's you're right. And it, to to that to your point, they they can't let making the playoffs be their Super Bowl. They don't get to be there very much. They haven't been in our lives. They only did it once or twice with Calvin Johnson. This can't be the Holy Grail. This can't be a we drop confetti because we're the eight seed in the playoffs like the Minnesota Timberwolves. They have to take this seriously. And that's a hard thing to predict from a team so young and so so raw and unexperienced in the playoffs. Exactly. But nonetheless, nothing bad to say about them. They're playing great. Yes, they are. Packers are doing okay too. Jordan Love's, I would say, been better than expected by most people. Yeah. All right. First London game of the season, I believe, came in week four between the Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It was not an exciting game of football. The Jaguars ran away with it. Um, the Falcons really struggling. Desmond Ritter is being reinforced that he's still the starting quarterback, but there's going to be a lot of talk. You got Heineke, who's the highest paid backup quarterback in football, just sitting there waiting. We know that he's a very serviceable option. He's played very well for Washington, even in playoff games before. Jacksonville has also had some ups and downs this year, but again, they also play in a very weak division, so there's not a whole lot of concern going on there. Um, the one thing we haven't really seen yet, though, out of the Jaguars is a breakout game from Trevor Lawrence. Is that something that's just kind of biding its time, or is it maybe just this isn't maybe quite as good of a Jaguars offense as we expected? It's getting concerning. This team has not made themselves a clear-cut division winner as we all anticipated, that's partially because the Titans have looked mm-hmm. pretty good. The TG Stroud has looked great. Um, and then the Colts, Colts have looked really good, even without Jonathan Taylor that we've talked about a bajillion times in the show. I don't know. I this It's so cyclical here, but like I'm kind of Trevor Lawrence. I don't think was like he was one of the most highly touted NFL draft prospects of all time. I don't think he should have been. He's having an okay career, but he's had Peterson at this point. This is year two of it, and nothing's really fruitful right now. Right. There's obviously early start of the season, you know, a lot of time left, but he's surrounded by weapons and really isn't doing much. So it's, I don't th- the, what the team they have constructed is a good team. It's to get to the next echelon. Do you have to have a really really good quarterback? I think the answer is yes. And we'll see if Lawrence makes that leap, or if he is the necessary evil that they part with to then get to that next step. And I think the answer is going to be they're going to stick with him. And I think they're just going to they're going to float and be like the Bengals of yesteryear with Palmer 
I think you have to right now. They're so yeah. young. They're, I mean, Etienne and Lawrence played in college together. Ridley didn't play in college that much before that. Like a lot of their core guys are so, so young and have not been playing for that long. And I think they're a four seed for the foreseeable future, but I think they're a fixture in the playoffs for the foreseeable future. And that needs to be the standard right now for Trevor Lawrence and the expectation for Trevor Lawrence. So you're right. I think, I think it is getting a little worrisome that, that he hasn't really had that breakout game yet. And they haven't really had that breakout game that we've been expecting so far. Yeah. That's where I'm at with it. I'm not calling for a new quarterback. I'm not telling them to trade for Kirk Cousins. But I I, I think it's going to get prevalent in a year or two where it's like, okay, I don't – put up decent stats. Like we're no, Maybe saying his Garoppolo is a bad statement, but, like, the team's good. They'll <laughs> win start. football games, and they'll put up okay stats. Like, they'll do what's necessary. Yes. No. 100%. And that's – at the end of the day, all you can really ask for, but not out of the number one overall draft pick. Right. All right. So there's that. Jacksonville will stay in London. They get the Bills next week there. Going back, you mentioned Stroud just a second ago. The Houston Texans ran and threw all over the Pittsburgh Steelers in week four. 30-6 to six surprise victory against what is typically considered a very stout Steelers defense that looked helpless to stop Stroud in the offense. Pickett nearly suffered an injury. He seems good to go. He'll play week five. I got nothing to say about the Steelers. That was a horrible game. Straight up, no excuses. No one was hurt. Nothing other than, you know, Deontay Johnson. No one was hurt. No one, no excuses. Terrible job. Need to be better. The Texans have been an awesome surprise, especially these last few weeks, and especially C.J. Stroud. That dude has been on a tear his first few weeks in the NFL, his first month or so in the league. They've surrounded him with decent weapons. Nico Collins, Robert Woods, Tank Dell's been an excellent draft pick. Damian Pierce has started to figure things out. This division is slowly becoming a little bit more competitive than we thought it might be. Um, We just talked about Jacksonville not necessarily being the clear-cut favorite. What are the chances Houston, led by this young rookie, might actually be the team that could break out and, and, and be the be the team to win this division. Possible. I do think the wins that they've had have been impressive so far. And Stroud's playing great. But I also think that South has been surprisingly good. Jaguars, we knew would be – I mean, they're 2-2, two two, but they're, they're good. The – Freaking Colts. Chains Dykins looking good. They, I mean, they, they just, they're but good games. No, they're two and two. Oh, they're two and two. That's right. They beat the Ravens in yeah. overtime, which oh, we love that. Big win. There's, I think all of these teams are just going to be playing spoiler this year. I think it's going to be just kind of fun to see where they're going to be a matchup nightmare for people. And they're going to be like, mm, do you take the underdog here? It's definitely possible. I do think we're seeing, like, for the Texans to win consistently, Stroud's got to put up good numbers, and then the defense cannot be ran through. Like, obviously, the Steelers didn't run through them. Steelers' offense maybe the reason for that. But, like, a Lamar Jackson team put up 30, just ran through them. and Week one, but still, you're right. I know, I know. I'm using that more as an example than anything, but 
Shroud just needs to keep playing his game. Regardless if they make the playoffs or not, it's going to be great to see him develop and play better. Mm-hmm. But he's already in the top 10 for passing yards this year, currently. Throwing touchdowns. like He's he's looked good. And that's promising for the Texans, who have needed something since the Watson era ended. One month in, is he the offensive rookie of the year? Yes, because... I think the only other person you could really give it to right now would be Puka. Puka, yeah. Yeah. And I think Puka's usage is going to be limited because Cooper Cup is coming back this week. Yep. Oh, we'll get to that in just a moment. Oh, good. Um, I'm trying I'm trying to get the ones that I know we're going to have stuff to talk about out of the way first, the really big games. Let's talk about Miami and Buffalo. Miami coming off a 70-point performance against Denver in week three, the the – uh, arrival of Devon A. Chain as a starting running back, as a star caliber running back in the in the NFL. His his uh, dominance continued in the Buffalo game, but it didn't really seem like anybody else on Miami came to play as they got smacked by the Buffalo Bills, 48 to 20. And, and what this felt like to me was a young gunning team that's been hot, excited about where they're at and what they can do this year facing a proven, skilled, talented team that everybody was sleeping on, and they got sma- they got backhanded smacked against the window. Buffalo has struggled in the playoffs the last couple of years. But Buffalo is not a team to mess with. This is one of the best teams in football. Josh Allen is one of the best quarterbacks in football. I am appalled whenever I hear people talk poorly about Josh Allen. I don't understand why or how that what, – what – backing they have to to talk poorly about him. I don't understand it. The Bills defense, as ripped apart and injured as it's been, has actually been decent so far. But the offense has actually looked like the best, other than maybe Miami, the best offense in football. And that's the thing. If that keeps up, we know Kansas City only does so much defensively. We know Cincinnati is struggling this year. The AFC is wide open, and Buffalo right now feels like a more competitive team to me than Miami does. It worked out in the Bills' favor this year. Last year, they had to play Miami in Miami in the hot weather, and everyone's cramping, everyone's complaining. Having to play in Miami in December, Grand Miami, for whatever reason, is a tough place to play. Tom Brady used to always lose when they would play the Dolphins in Miami for whatever reason. I'll tell you what, they got lucky because they didn't have to. They played Miami in December, much more tempered. You know, it's an escape rather than like a punishment. Playing in Buffalo with those type of fans, you know, they played the Raiders as their home opener. They were looking for an actual game to go to, and with how the Dolphins games ended last year, people were hyped up and ready to go to this game and ready to watch the Dolphins lose it. You could tell how loud it was there. Like I've been to that stadium. It gets loud. You could hear just on the TV. Like it was it probably impossible to call stuff in. And to your point, the bills besides week one have looked great so far. Josh Allen gets a lot of flack for his decision-making sometimes because he's always trying to make the big play. It's like Mahomes in 2021 where he started (laughs) off the year real poor because he was always trying to gun the ball downfield and people were ready for it. Allen's kind of the same way, and 
now the offense this year has looked like a little more balanced where they're running the ball. I'm saying you run the football this year. I know. It's great. And part of that is because the O-line has looked better than years before because sometimes that O-line is a problem. There's that. Josh Allen has been a little bit better with cutting the ball downfield. I also think, though, the teams they have played since the Jets have been a lot worse defensively. And that was that's that bodes well, where it's like, oh, I played real bad. This is a great defensive team. Playing lesser competition, you can just slice and dice because it's like you got that bad one out of the way and like you've learned from it. So that bodes well. As they're they're clicking right now. They will experience some sort of hiccup throughout the season. I'm talking it could honestly be in, in London this week because the Jaguars have been there since the prior week. One of your superstar defensive backs is going to go down. It happens every single year. Well, that, hold on, this is where I'm getting at. Trey White <laughs> blew his Achilles last game. That's right. That doesn't bode well. However, it seems like Von Miller is going to play this week. Yep, that's where I was getting to. Miller's coming back second. And, and secondary is not necessarily a concern when you've got Poyer and Hyde sitting up top. Yep. So uh, they, they definitely have a lot back there, but losing Trey White's a huge blow especially oh, in a blowout game no, no Levi Wallace anymore but we know I have opinions on him <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah I know but you want to say you just love Levi Wallace don't you Adoring. it'll be interesting to see how it goes but if they can keep it balanced they're looking like the clear-cut favorite in the AFC for now assuming no injuries part of it I underestimate how good the defensive line would be this year that defensive line is up there with like the Eagles. Like it is, they get so much pressure and do so much damage in the backfield that it is tough for offense to operate. And that has been a miss for the last few years with the Bills, where they have a great secondary, they have Von Miller, but yeah. no one else was really consistently stepping up to get sacks or pressures. Um, couple that with a little bit of good rookie play from like your James Cooks, uh, Terrell Bernard. Uh, there's a lot of guys who have really stepped up and are playing a lot better than previous years. Big question think, mark. Go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Finish it up. Can that O-line yep. protect Josh Allen? Because right now it's been good, but we need to see what they can actually do. And does Ken Dorsey's play calling stay like this? Because looking great right now, but when push comes to shove, he's going to start bombing balls downfield and that's what worries me well yeah i was gonna say can you establish a second offensive threat outside of Diggs? gabe davis has been a great red or end zone threat but outside of that he doesn't do much right to find that second option so Diggs doesn't have to have 14 targets every day every game might be a good thing for them oh yeah but running the ball that's the big one that's huge all right, I'm going to run through a couple games here that were a little less exciting. Not that this one wasn't exciting, but unimportant. Denver came back on Chicago, won 31-28. We'll get to the Bears on Thursday night, but it had been a long, long time until last Thursday that they won a football game. Baltimore you know, steamrolled the Browns without Deshaun Watson. Dorian Thompson-Robinson further proving to the world that preseason means nothing. Minnesota got in the win column for the first time in an ugly gritty game versus the LA, uh, excuse me, versus the um, Carolina Panthers. Carolina Panthers. It looked like LAR. That's why I got confused. My handwriting is terrible. Ugly game. Did get a big win, though. Justin Jefferson, a two-touchdown performance. 
two teams that played each other last week that are going to be all over the news this week because of who they're playing. The Rams and the Colts played an excellent game last week. Colts came back from down big, went to overtime, couldn't quite win it. Puka had an excellent game-winning touchdown grab. But that's not what we're really here to talk about with these teams because Cooper Cup has been activated off the IR for the LA Rams and will start uh, with no snap count for the Rams next week uh, against, I'm trying to see real quick who, who they're going up against. I believe they get the Eagles. That's right. And then on the other end, Jonathan Taylor, as we mentioned a couple times throughout the show, is playing. He is activated off the pup list. He has signed a three-year, $42 million contract. It seems as if he is in line to not only start and most likely be the workhorse back from here on out. I still would be hesitant to fire him up in, in fantasy lineups this week. Again, the Titans have also, not, not only because of the uncertainty of the backfield, but because the Titans have had a very stout defense uh, against the running backs this year. Be wary of that if you're a fantasy owner of Jonathan Taylor, but it seems as if his holdout is over, at least for the time being. Again, we could see a situation where it just leads to a trade, and that's why the signing happened. But either way, all signs point to Jonathan Taylor reestablishing himself as the Colts' workhorse running back, which is killer for all of Zach Moss fantasy owners like myself and yourself, but at least you still have Taylor. That's right. All right, so two huge players coming back into the rotation there for their teams. Tampa Bay ran over New Orleans 26-9. to Derek Carr was playing through an injury. Um, Tennessee murdered Cincinnati 27 to three. The establishment of Derrick Henry had a big run in that game. Bengals really struggling right now. And Burrow has not looked like himself. They get the bye week next week. Yep. No, week seven is their bye week. Excuse me. So soon, but Higgins is a big question mark for this week with some, with a rib injury. So Boyd might get a bigger chance. And this Cardinals game that they're coming up to that should have been a walk in the park is now a toss-up because the Bengals have shown nothing offensively or, or de- really just shown nothing at all this year. All right, got to talk about your Eagles. I kind of mentioned this before. Washington is just that team that plays the Eagles tough, even when they're bad, which Washington's not bad by any means. But they're not the most skilled team, but they just know what to do against the Eagles. And this was a tough, competitive team uh, game. Every time it looked like the Eagles were about to create some separation – Washington threw that counterpunch. This game went all the way in overtime, eventually ending in a Jake Elliott game-winning field goal. As an Eagles fan, seeing that it's it hasn't necessarily been the dream start you were hoping for this season. You're undefeated, which is great. You're doing fine, but it's looked, I don't want to quite say rusty, but but just not as smooth as it was last year. Again, you're still 4-0. There's not a whole lot to nitpick about here. But if you had to, had to really kind of boil it down to one or two things that's really holding this team back from their full potential right now, what would you say that is? Easy. The secondary. Oh, yeah. Secondary is bad, especially compared to last year. And, you know, the commanders came off a bad week against the the Bills. I'm sorry, both my cats are trying to fight each other. Give me one second. A bunch of demons are just fighting with each other. Anywho, uh, the secondary has been the focal point of the issues, in my opinion. The defensive lines look great. 
The linebackers are fine. Maybe that could be something that is improved on. The offensive play calling week to week has gotten better and better, and I think we're seeing a little bit more of what it was last year. Obviously, losing Shane Steichen to the Colts was a big blow because guy knew what he was doing, but they've filled it in pretty well. But right now, we've watched Sam Howell put up nothing against the Bills, like negative fantasy points. This past week, playing the Bears looked very poor. Granted, the score may have looked a little closer, but like pretty poor again. Slice and dice the Eagles. And the Commanders have some good players, but like this was unacceptable. And that's it's a dream start in the sense they're 4 0 and undefeated. You really can't fault them for that. In fact, I wish like. It's tough because you know what they're capable of and they're not doing it. At the same time, they're also 4-0. And I would kind of compare them to a degree like the Vikings of last year in the sense that they're winning these close games. They're playing good, but you know they're kind of pretenders right now unless they can really make a improvement to their team. And I think it's the secondary. They're Offense is starting to click. I like the play calling more and more every week. You know, they, they've been putting up a good amount of points besides week one from the offense. And I, they got to figure out the secondary. There's got to be better schemes, better play calling involved. Because when people throw on us, they look elite. And that's a problem. Yeah. One thing that has very much gone in the Eagles' favor was that DeAndre Swift trade, though. He has looked excellent since yes. taking over the backfield in week two. Absolutely. That's huge. The Eagles love to run the football. All right, a few more games to just run through real quick. The Chargers were able to hold off the Raiders 24-7 heading into the bye week. Eckler should be back out of the bye. Herbert injured his finger, should be all right, be good to go out of the bye week. Uh, Chargers offense has looked excellent. Defense has struggled. The offense has looked excellent. Uh, shocker. Yeah, right. <laughs> um Dallas, again, they have just been running over teams, killed the Patriots 38-3. to I think Mac Jones actually got benched at some point during this game. It was not a pretty showing for the New England Patriots. Um, and meanwhile, Dallas is sitting here never having to throw the football. Um, and then San Francisco handled their business against Arizona, who didn't play poorly, but San Francisco, the only other other undefeated team other than the Philadelphia Eagles. Miami was the, the, other, the third one, but Buffalo ended that. Um, so San Francisco jumps to 4-0 with a 35-16 to victory over Arizona. I want to mention Monday Night Football before I mention Sunday Night Football because Monday Night Football was very unexciting. Sunday Night Football had a lot going on. Um, Monday Night Football, Seattle steamrolls the Giants 24-3. The Giants are in a hotbed right now. Barkley hasn't played the last few games. Daniel Jones has looked nothing like the breakout player he was last year that I think – a lot of people were expecting to see this this regression from him. Um, Waller has been invisible in their offense. Their whole offense has just been invisible in general. Lots of question marks for the Giants. But I want to talk about Sunday Night Football. That was the Chiefs and the Jets in what was an exciting game that I don't think anybody saw coming. And, you know, the Chiefs, obviously, we expect a lot out of them, but their offense has also been a little rough. I mean, there's Pacheco and there's Kelsey – but no receiver has really established themselves as a, as a presence for the Kansas City Chiefs offense yet. And that's made things difficult 
It makes Mahomes have to do more, and it makes Mahomes make mistakes against a good defense like the Jets, where he threw multiple interceptions for. I don't even remember the last time he threw multiple interceptions in a game. Yeah, and this was the first time in Mahomes' entire career, high school, college, and pro, that an opposing quarterback has outperformed him in every statistical category. So that means com- number of completions, number of touchdowns, number of yards, and interceptions. And who and was Zach that? Wilson. And who was, yep, there was Zach Wilson was all the other guy on the other end, some, who, who I don't think anyone has had their their job called for more over the last few years than Zach Wilson. I mean, thrust into the starting position when that when Aaron Rodgers went down, you know, four plays into the season. And it's been a struggle. It really has been. But one thing I want to I want to actually say is a lot of NFL players, they have their own podcast now, they do their own stuff, their own their own shows like this and, and that you see on on ESPN. And they have all come to the defense of Zach Wilson because a lot of analysts who either didn't play football or were never very good at football and now are sitting behind a table talking about it, they have been going at Zach Wilson, saying that he's terrible, you know, he's nothing special, he's untalented. But anytime you hear a player talk about him, they say he is talented in his own right. And obviously when you hear within his own right, you think that comes with a very negative connotation. That's not necessarily always the case. And Zach Wilson proved that. On Sunday night, Zach Wilson maybe won't be able to bring it like this every single day, and that's okay. But Zach Wilson is much, much better than you or I at football. Zach Wilson is much, much better than all these people sitting behind their desks talking about how bad Zach Wilson is at football. And that's something that I think we all really forget. And we remember way back when we watched that movie with the uh, the the box office QBs, Any Given Sunday. Mm-hmm. That concept of Any Given Sunday is so important. It's so important. Zach Wilson is a capable NFL player. I don't know if he should be the starting quarterback moving forward, but he's at least given himself a real shot at earning the job full time. Oh, sure. No. And it's funny. Cause that game spread was like nine and a half, you know, Taylor Swift's there. You're like, there's no way that and Jets have played terrible. There's no way they, they get close to this, but usually when everything is telling you not that like it can't be, it won't happen. It's usually like the inverse. So I just thought that the game was going to be stupidly close, but the Jets win win. It's interesting because the part of the reason he's looked so bad has been the O line. Like we've talked about that, and if he the O line protects him, he looks a lot better, and that's you can say that for any quarterback. Zach Wilson is an okay quarterback. He he played very well against the Chiefs, and we're happy for that. But the Chiefs don't have a notoriously good defense. No. They got Chris Jones back, but that that's one guy. That's one guy who's very important to their defense, but just one guy. <laughs> I go back and forth because the Jets have a pretty good assembled team, and with a really good quarterback, they could potentially be a threat. That was the Aaron Rodgers experiment that ended four plays into this year. You know, you're right. Zach Wilson is a much better football player and can throw a ball a lot farther than I ever could. That still shouldn't excuse the fact that he plays bad. No. And I agree. Analysts like to jump on players a lot, especially when they have bad performances. And it's a team game. You don't just point to the quarterback. 
But minus this last game, Zach Wilson has looked pretty poor. We are forgetting that. And he's played some good defenses and good teams. But I want to – obviously, you give him more time now. But if he – next three weeks, if he doesn't perform, you you got to try something if you're going to be competitive for the playoffs. You got to make a switch. He is a great insurance policy, and it's great that he's their backup because you can slot him in and you're trying again. But he he's, in my opinion, the middle of the pack quarterbacks at best. At best, yeah. At I best. absolutely agree with that. We'll see what happens with him and the Jets moving forward. I gotta, I gotta say real quick, every time I hear Aaron Rodgers talk at this point, it makes me want to shoot myself. I feel my, like he he approaches himself like he's the Batman supervillain Bane, when in reality he's the Batman supervillain Condiment King. <laughs> my dad, you you gained a lot of brownie points from my dad. I'll tell you that if he's listening right now, he's probably like fist pump in the air. He's like, yes, someone finally said it. My dad is so bothered by it. like it just he thinks he's a genius who's this football god who's won one Super Bowl. Uh, no, I, I, he shouldn't have won. I won't get into that. So oh, yeah. you. Oh, stop. That's so <laughs> biased. It's unbelievable. You're, t- you're telling me Super Bowl 40, you guys deserve to win? Yeah, okay. One one, one play is all I'll, I'll die I'll, is the entire hill I'll die on. But Kurt Warner deserved a Super Bowl, and you took that away from him. Yeah, by, by a blade of grass underneath San Antonio Holmes foot. Yeah, and then... Matt Hasselback was robbed of a Super Bowl, too. Okay. okay. That, that was a robbery. That, that's a legitimate robbery. Bowl too. All right, whatever. You know what? Okay. Let's move into – okay, I guess one more game to talk about before uh, before we move into the Week 5 projections would be the Week 5 Thursday night game, which has already come and gone, which nobody expected, I think, to be quite as high scoring as it was as the Bears defeated the Washington Commanders 40-20. to Remember last year, this was not an exciting game for people to watch. Kind of similar this year, but at least Justin Fields showed up. Justin Fields now has eight touchdown passes in the last two weeks. He has much improved from his slow start to the year. The Bears get their first win in their last 15 games. So, good job. This is not an important game for the season, though. But it was a Dick Buckus. It was like a memorial game because he died. He did Dick Buckus, who passed away uh, earlier this past week. Yeah. But... Uh, yeah, it's. I'll tell you what. This game, not that the Bears are going to make any noise past this, but you got to see DJ Moore and Justin Fields connect with each other, and it kind of gave proper like merit to that trade for the first overall pick, where it's like, okay, if you can connect with them, this is a special connection, or at the very least, there's a lot of utility for Moore. Um, with that being said, though. I don't know where they fall now. I know they technically would own the first overall pick because they own the Panthers pick next year. But Marvin Harrison Jr. and Caleb Williams on the same team with DJ Moore. That kind of sounds fun, right? And Justin Fields is your starting running back. No, you uh, you trade Justin Fields for a, uh, like a bag of saltine crackers. So Ezekiel Elliott. All right, moving on. <laughs> Stop. All right, let's finish the show here with our week five predictions. I still think you're doing a bit better than me. I know we, we missed last week, unfortunately. Um, but I, I, I have gotten off to a bit of a slow start, so I, I want a lot of safe 
safe picks this week, I think, with the exception okay. of maybe one or two. Um, so I guess we'll start with the London game, Jacksonville, Buffalo. Man, this one screams Buffalo, but I also hate the fact they're in London for it. And the Jags have been in London for like every year over the last right. whoever knows how long. I'm going to say the Bills, but I bet you the Jags cover. It's five and a half points. I think okay. it'll be a close game. I'll say I can Bills definitely well. agree with that, but I also have the Buffalo Bills taking that game. Yeah. All right, what's next? Oh, I thought you were doing it. Oh, you want me to do it? <laughs> Pull it up. I took it, I took it and then realized you usually do it, so I was just going to hopefully naturally <laughs> shift it back over to you. <laughs> you're good. You're good. All right. Next game. Saints at Patriots. This is supposed to be the second lowest scoring game of the week, if I'm not mistaken. It's not going to be pretty. Take all these guys out of your fantasy lineups. I got the Patriots, though, and a bounce-back win. Derek Carr's still a little banged up. And they just traded for, I don't know if he's playing, but they just traded for J.C. Jackson from the Chargers. He's out for the year, I think, though. Already? He already got ruled out? Or am I, I saying thought... that they trade for somebody else? No, you, they got J.C. Jackson back. I thought he was injured, and they were sitting out the rest of the year. Hilarious. Um, I'm going to say the Saints. I, this is an ugly game, but like, let's just say the Derek Carr led Saints bounce back and win. This is no. I know. Combined I hate it too. Points from those two teams in week four. It is gross. Okay. Titans at Colts. This is an exciting one just because of how well the Colts have been playing. And everybody, I'm sure, wants to say Jonathan Taylor is going to get them the win in his first week back. But we're, we're, we're forgetting that Jonathan Taylor is actually still just the second best running back in this football game. Tennessee got the Titans. They're off to a hot start. They're going to keep rolling. Titans win. Ick. It felt ick picking them so solidly. I'm going to say Titans. I, I just hope I'm wrong and Jonathan Taylor puts up 400 yards. You, are you locking him in? Running back one? Running back one. What's the worst that happens? I go 0-5? I ain't yes, scared. That is, in fact, the worst that can that's, happen. Yeah. Absolutely. No, you beat my fantasy team last week in a two-quarterback, three-wide receiver league, and you put up 64 points. I put up – I didn't do much better. There was not the two-quarterback, but my one league with one quarterback, I put up, like, 58. I don't, mean to, I don't mean to put blame on anybody, but Joe Burrow can go fucking – I don't mean to put blame on anyone, but <laughs> – <laughs> Anywho, anywho. This, this podcast has such a nice tone to it where it's like, you know, Zach Wilson, like, I, he can th- he's much more athletic than me. He can throw a ball farther than me. But also, I hate Joe Burrow. He's trash. He's terrible. <laughs> I got to bring the Robbie Flair, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. All right. Speaking of Robbie Flair, Ravens at Steelers. Ugh, I, couldn't even, I couldn't even lie to myself. The Ravens are going to kill the Steelers. Ravens. It'll, it'll be competitive in the sense that AFC North games are usually competitive, but I, I don't see the Ravens really skipping a beat here. Steelers need the bye week to figure things out. Yeah. Panthers at Lions. Rose, no Amon Ra, Reynolds questionable, Gibbs questionable, Khalif Raymond wide receiver one, fire it up, Lions victory. Yeah, that screams trap game to me, but Lions are hot. Panthers are not good. I, I'm going to call it early. Bryce Young's a bust. Wow. Four games in. He looks bad. He looks really bad. That team's so 
bad though. Like Andy Dalton made them look amazing. No, 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 no. Andy Dalton threw for 300 yards. It's going to take Bryce Young eight more games to throw for that many yards. It's the Vikings, though. I know. But still, Young has come on a little, I think, even a little more slowly than the average person projected, let alone someone who didn't think he should be the one overall pick. We've given Trevor Lawrence three years. We can give him three. (laughs) You make a good point. I have to root for Kenny Pickett, so. Oh, boy. All right. (laughs) Texans at Falcons. Um, I got the Texans. I'm rolling with the hot team here. I the Falcons were a team of mine that I said to watch out for, but with Ritter right now, I don't I don't really know. Houston's won. They I think their last two. They're two and two now. Stroud's looked good. The receivers have been on 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 target with him. I got Houston. I agree. I to me though, like Falcons game plan is Bijan as much as you can if. D'Amico Ryans, who is a very defensive-minded coach, can hold that even the slightest. They'll be fine. If you make Desmond Ritter throw, that's an easy win. That's that's what you want to do. I think this is a good game also to gauge where Stroud's at. He's been playing well so far. Mm -hmm. Let's continue this. And, like, this is – we'll call it a tune-up game in the sense that they can really start to dial in what they're doing. You know, being away is is tough, but – this is also the best defense they've faced since Baltimore in week one. Exactly. It's a the Falcons don't have a good passing game, but everything else has been very good this year. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. Can you stop putting your brother in a headlock? <laughs> Me to my cats. How they love. Well, yeah, it's like they tackle each other and put each other in like chokeholds, and they start licking each other and whatever. Yeah, WWE going on in the background or something. Oh, yeah. No, if you watched, if you had a security camera in my house, it would be like you'd see swanton bombs and tackles. Like, I mean, can you see it there? No, they're they're, they're camera shy. They've disappeared, but they're going to go on to fight in the background. Anywho, sorry about that. Glorious battles, just like in the sports world. That's right. Giants at Dolphins. I don't even I don't even know how somebody could pick the Giants after how poorly they've played so far. I got the Dolphins and unless the like, I, I, I Dolphins in a blowout is what I'm gonna say. Bounce back for the Dolphins. I, I agree unless Tua were to get hurt, but Dolphins. They're playing in Miami too. It's gonna be hot. One thing I did hear if you're a Raheem Mostert fantasy owner. A-Chain has taken over the backfield. It is going to be his his backfield moving forward. Interesting. Even with Jeff, if Jeff Wilson Jr. comes back? That is the question mark as of now, but Wilson's still at least another week away. So for week five, A-Chain is the number one back in Miami. Okay. Bengals at Cardinals. Why is this game causing me so much stress having to figure out who's going to win? Because you believe in Josh Dobbs and you don't believe in Joe Burrow, and you have both of them on your team. Actually, now no, you used to, not team. anymore. I used to have them both on my team. I made excellent oh. moves for them both. Um, I'm gonna have to say the Bengals. I'm not gonna be surprised at all if it's the Cardinals. The one thing I will say is bet the under. I gotta say Bengals too. I'm hoping a bunch of field goals happen for Evan McPherson. Um, but I'm I mean. Exactly they, the Cardinals have been playing well, which is kind of skews us because we project them to be bad this year. Bengals haven't been playing well, but they did beat the Rams. Granted, that was in Cincinnati, but 
I don't know. There's some hope there. A little bit of hope. But if they can't beat the Cardinals, I would actually think about shutting Joe Burrow down until he's fully healthy. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think that's going to be the talk. Okay. Eagles at Rams. For the first time in over a year and a half in this podcast, I'm going to select the Philadelphia Eagles to lose in our pickums. I have the Los Angeles Rams. The Eagles have looked just a bit shaky despite their 4-0 record. The Rams have looked good. They get Matt Stafford's favorite target back. It's a it's a perfect storm brewing in LA. In LA, Rams victory. This this is the one where it's like they seem like they should lose. I don't disagree with that. Uh, you know, it's a matchup nightmare because they have two really good receivers, which the Eagles have not looked good defensively. Aaron Donald in the front is going to be a problem for that run game. On top of that, you know, just playing away. But for the most part, the Eagles against the Rams have fared pretty well. I gotta. I'm gonna. I'm gonna ride with the Eagles. But this. This is the game. If they're gonna lose, they'll lose by ten points. Yeah, it'll be one of those like it was kind of just ten points the whole game. Yeah, but I think they just need to start strong, and that front four of the Eagles needs to get Matthew Stafford off his game immediately. <laughs> Jalen Carter's been the best rookie in football so far. He's so. playing so well, and then even Jordan Davis, like them two next to each other, because Fletcher Cox isn't playing. Mm-hmm. They're gonna have a lot of snaps. See what happens. Jets at Broncos. Tie. No, Jets. I got the Jets. I'll give Wilson a little favor, but mostly on the back of their defense. I got the Jets winning this one. I'd agree, just based on how good the Jets defense is. Chiefs at Vikings. Over. Oh, sorry, not what we were asking. Chiefs. Vikings. Really? I like it. Here's the deal. If the Vikings win this game, and it's largely because the Chiefs couldn't move the ball outside of passing it to Kelsey or running it with Pacheco, do they try and sign or trade for a wide receiver? Yeah. I think they have to. Tony's not it. Right. And that's where the Mike Evans discussion may come more into play. But that this game is either going to be a blowout in favor of the Chiefs, or it's going to be a shootout. And I think if the Vikings can make one defensive stop, they'll win the game. <laughs> That's a tall order, though, for the Vikings. I, I know. But my <laughs> but theory is... This, this is... this is my working theory. The Vikings' offense can compete with anyone. Yes. Their defense is just poor. And I think the Chiefs' defense is also poor. But if you have – you talked about the wide receivers. If they can hold those wide receivers, which seems pretty feasible, they may be okay. And Justin Jarrett thinks going to just torch them. So we'll find out. I'm going to go with a risky pick, and we'll, we'll see the 34-10 victory for the Chiefs next week. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Who knows how, how – much backtracking we'll have to do on our picks next week. But I think we have two more games. Cowboys at 49ers, the Sunday night game. That's a great game. 
it's a tough one to pick. I did pick the 49ers to keep rolling on, meaning I have them left as the last undefeated team in football. And I feel I feel solid about that. They've looked the best all around. I think everything about their entire Super Bowl dependency relies on two things, and that's the health of quarterback one and running back one. Purdy goes down, you don't want Sam Darnold coming in. If Christian McCaffrey goes down, the entire offense changes. And McCaffrey's been the best running back in football. He's been the only person competing with Josh Allen and Tua Tagovailoa for MVP so far. I'm going to go with the Cowboys. And I think it's because they played well this year. They, the Cowboys need a shot of adrenaline to then break them for the playoffs. And this is the game to do it. If they kind of have proper expectations, I worry that they could do actual damage. I'm going to say the Cowboys here. They're going to be named the best team in football by everyone and their mother. And then we watch them falter. If they, beat, if they beat the 49ers, don't even bother going on Twitter or turning on ESPN. No. There's going to be the Cowboys logo for all week. Yeah. Final game, because we start bye weeks this week. Uh, Packers at Raiders. Should actually be a relatively exciting game. You know, Devontae Adams facing off against his old team in prime time. Uh, Jimmy G should be good to go, should be back in the lineup, clear concussion protocol. However, I've got the Green Bay Packers. Defensively, they've looked very sound. It seems like Aaron Jones is on track to make his return. And Jordan Love, outside of their last game, has looked very good. Really, he has. He's looked like one of the better quarterbacks in football. And maybe this should have been more expected than than we thought because we saw uh, Rodgers replace Favre and didn't blink an eye. And now we thought that couldn't possibly happen again. And obviously it's too early to tell, just like it's too early to tell if Bryce Young is a bust. But <laughs> Jordan Love's played great. And the Packers, I don't think they're all I, I have a good friend who's a Packers fan. He and his buddies are waiting for that, you know, that other foot to drop a little bit and wait for the play to, to, to go down. But they're very happy. They're very pleased with what they've seen so far. And so I think they can ride that momentum into a Monday night victory on the road. I think it's going to be a low scoring game. I think the Packers are going to win. I bet you the Raiders put up like 17 points. I bet Devontae Packers has 150 plus yards. Yeah, and I think the Packers will put up like 21. Yeah, like 20. I see like a 21 to 14 or 17 type game. Yeah. So, all right, those are our picks for the week, and yeah, we'll we'll this this week is hit or miss with football, where there's some really good games and some probably poor games. So. See how it goes. Yeah, no, we'll we'll see how it is. Hopefully, our uh, our projections do okay. Real quick, I know we don't do the video. I had to put this on here. Our yeah. friend here on the other end, he makes toys for Fisher Price. That is like the coolest job in the world to me, a toy collector. So he sent me these uh, this this Fisher Price Little People four pack of Steelers. I had to ask, and I had to ask on the podcast: Did you only make the Steelers, or did you make them for every team and just send me the Steelers? We did all thirty two teams, so you can get any of the thirty two teams in Mattel Creations. Not a sponsored ad by any means, just where you can get them. But we, yeah, those are the Little People collector. Um, I got Robbie the Steel Curtain Steelers one as two fans, and then T.J. Watt and Najee Harris. I know you've been screwing me in fancy. <laughs> Still a good man. Um, but, yeah, so that's it. Um, funny enough, so what they did was they had limited selection of all 32 teams that we could get our hands on because you have to order them through the website and then get them shipped to you. The only two that have sold out so far, I think it's three now. The Chiefs are the one that I think just sold out. Mm-hmm. They limited them out. 
but it was the Eagles and the Steelers. Wow. So oh. I got I, I should keep these in box. They they're they're gonna be valuable. <laughs> they, that's the intent, hopefully. But yeah, no, hope you enjoy. You were the, I have my Eagles one in my office. You can't see it right now, but yeah, they're they're cool. I appreciate it. No, I really, really do. I, yeah. I love it. I, I don't talk about it much on here, but I, I do collect mostly Marvel, actually entirely yeah. Marvel action figures. Um, but these guys, I actually am leaving on a trip tomorrow, early tomorrow morning. So I told my girlfriend I'm going to hide these four guys around the house and her job is to find them by the time by the time I get back. And then and then they'll make their way onto the display full time. But no, I, I appreciate that. I thought it was really cool because, like I said, I'm into that kind of thing. And the fact that you work for, for a company that does that stuff is really cool. Uh, my dream, my dream, I think I told you before, is that I write a movie and you make the action figures for the movie. Oh, <laughs> yeah. One day. One day. If Hasbro ever comes a call and you tell me how much that employee discount is. Mattel, but. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> All right. On that note, a little, little free advertising for Fisher Price there. <laughs> but regardless, we hope you guys enjoy this Sunday of football. We hope you enjoy the, uh, the second round of the baseball postseason. And, of course, the NBA preseason as it, as it gets ready for the start of NHL and NBA regular season play. Hopefully be back next week. I'll, uh, we'll have to work it out together as I'm doing a bit of traveling this week. So we'll, we'll, we'll try and figure that one out. Either way, we'll be sure to get our pickums back out. We won't miss those anymore. Hope you guys enjoy the content. Let us know if there's any, any other new segments you want us to try. We know we've done a lot of news these last few episodes. We'll get back into the segments once we get a, can I get our footing in the NFL season. Don't you worry. Until then, enjoy the episode. Have a wonderful week. See you all next time. Take care, everyone.